as you drive up to the center, uh, see some words at the main entrance, metta. How many people don't know what that means? Show of hands. Uh, one <clears throat> translation of, would be, of it would be all-embracing loving-kindness or universal loving-kindness. Last night we went into inquiry and understanding the ability to see things the way they are and to learn from that seeing and for our actions to be in accordance with what we learn. And in Dharma practice, it's very useful to balance that quality, wisdom or understanding, with qualities that are more of the heart. Well, I don't like to say more because uh, at a certain point this distinction dissolves between wisdom and, say, compassion, wisdom and love. And the metta, or all-embracing loving-kindness, is a nice balance to investigation, inquiry, concentration, the things we've been doing. Metta itself helps develop concentration. What I'd like to do this evening is speak briefly about metta, loving-kindness, and then for us to do a guided metta meditation together. the cultivation and development of metta has to do with bringing more friendliness into the world. More warmth. It contributes to becoming harmless. You might say our entire practice, every aspect of it, is designed to help us become harmless, to stop being a problem for others. Each one of us, we're all a problem for each other. Men are for women, women are for men. Russians are for Americans, Americans are for Russians, and so forth. It's very arduous work to become harmless. It means you're not a problem anymore. doesn't mean to be a patsy or a weakling or, you know, stuff like that. But it means having tamed all the aggressive, violent, self-centered, 
energies which seem to be particularly prevalent on the planet right now. So it's designed to bring in friendliness, warmth, caring. And to minimize, neutralize the opposite, aggression, anger. And so many of the energies like that, which come from self-cherishing, not in a good sense, self-cherishing, but cherishing in the, in the sense of seeing the entire universe being here for only one reason, our personal gratification. And when we're gratified, it's all right. And when we're not, we get pretty angry. And even people, even people that we say we love are here for that reason. If they gratify us and make us feel about ourselves the way we want to feel about ourselves, we like them, we love them. We use words like that. And if they don't, trouble. As an approach in, the, in Buddhist meditation, as it's used in Vipassana work, the metta meditation helps develop steadiness, concentration, stability, collectedness. So it falls in the family of practices which help develop samadhi, which is just a word for those qualities. If we were to take the breath, as we did for the first part of this retreat, and only work with the breath, constantly coming back to it, not exploring uh, realms that we're taken to, as we've been doing now all day today, just take one thing and keep coming back to it exclusively, we would be developing concentration. which when highly developed become what are called the absorptions. We would become absorbed to deeper, to a deeper and deeper extent. The metta meditation practice is cultivating this quality of all-embracing loving-kindness that is for everyone, all beings, all creatures, all sentient beings, And in doing that, the mind becomes more concentrated, more calm, becomes, starts to develop, go into the absorptions, which in itself is a very fulfilling state. When the mind is very concentrated, it's happy. Just as when you see a movie, if you really like it, you're very concentrated and you feel good, you're happy much of the time the mind is dispersed. And then in those moments when it's very concentrated, it can be very happy. And so the loving kindness has, the subject of loving kindness is used to develop this one-pointed, steady, concentrative meditation. And if we turn it the other way around, the more developed, the more concentrated the mind becomes, the more powerful the metta becomes. So that uh, 
on the one hand, the word love might be used for a kind of casual sympathy or good feeling about someone. But as it becomes more developed, becomes deeper, it's questionable whether the same word should even be used because the love can become that potent, that deep, broad. So there's quite a range in the depth of metta. And if one were to take this practice and do it very seriously and wholeheartedly, uh, the goal is to become very, very deeply absorbed. And then, of course, to be able to use that quality, that tremendous focus and attention to beam love, radiate love, loving kindness to, to beings. Supposedly, the Buddha, as well, I don't know him, but if you can imagine, supposedly had a very highly developed loving kindness. One point, his cousin was trying to take over the order and try to discredit the Buddha in a number of ways. And one of the ways, he cooked up this scheme whereby a mad elephant would be running down this narrow lane at the time that the Buddha would be, would be coming in that direction. And he assumed that either the Buddha would run, in which case he would be discredited to a lot of people, or if he stayed there, he'd be crushed. In any case, the cousin would be able to take over the order of monks. But what happened, I mean, what's reported to happen, I don't know if it's myth or history or what, is the elephant came charging at the Buddha and the Buddha just put both palms together and sent tremendous loving kindness to the elephant. And the elephant stopped and bowed down to the Buddha. I don't know if it's true, but it sounds nice. And if you read some of the commentaries on uh, metta, it's, uh, the benefits from it range from improving your health when it's authentic to the impact it has on people who uh, really like to be around you, care for you, don't want to hurt you, to having a good night's sleep. There are long lists of things that metta will do for you. Having pleasant dreams, not having nightmares, waking up feeling refreshed. Even before TM started to document all this stuff about blood pressure and everything. Apparently, the ancients knew it. Before doing the actual meditation, I'd like to speak briefly about um, the Dalai Lama, His Holiness the Dalai Lama, who's the spiritual and political leader of Tibet. Probably everyone has heard of him. I don't know how informed you are, but for our purposes tonight, all you need to know is that uh, he's the spiritual head of Tibet and he and many other people were driven out of Tibet by the Chinese. Uh, They've undergone tremendous suffering, uh, destruction of a whole culture, many human beings killed 
and basically being uprooted refugees living in India in a climate that's not suited for Tibetans. And a number of years ago, uh, he caught my attention when I read an interview with him. Uh, The interviewer was very much trying to get the Dalai Lama to say all kinds of nasty things about the Chinese communists. And if those of you who've seen his interview with William Buckley, you'll see it's pretty difficult to do. And he just refused to, to do that. He kept referring to the great Chinese people and the wonderful culture and he know their behavior seems misguided now, but uh, he has no hatred for the Chinese and he's trying to get his country back, but he has total respect for the Chinese people and so forth. And the interviewer was going crazy with that. Kept pushing him. Finally, the Dalai Lama said, um, see, this having happened to us is, has its own benefits because now we'll find out who the real Buddhists are among us. What he was trying to say is that if it's all embracing universal loving kindness, that means all embracing. It means everyone. And of course, the test comes with people who are unkind to you. Otherwise, it's not all embracing. It's selective which is what it usually is for us. We have partisan lines along which we love and, and don't love. And recently, a friend gave me a gift of an audience with the Dalai Lama. This was some years later. And... No special reason for it. I had heard him and liked him and read a few books, but I was not particularly uh, using a lot of brain waves in that direction. Reading other things and practicing a rather different way. The way we practice here is in many ways quite different. And I went into the interview with not too many expectations. And it turned out to be a highly significant 45 minutes for me. And I'd like to share a little of that just to give you a sense of what I think I experienced was a very powerful and wonderful use of loving kindness, metta. Not really use. I think it's not the right way to talk about it. It's just who he, just who he is. At any rate, I walked in and put my palms together as I assumed he would because he's the Dalai Lama, but he reached out to shake my hand. So I shook his hand and I felt a hard, strong handshake. So I made my handshake stronger than it was. Then I felt an arm around my shoulder. Now, we didn't know each other. So I put my arm around his shoulder. Before I knew it, uh, we were both seated and very close to each other, a lot of touching. And we were talking, on one level, there was a conversation going on about meditation and the problems of bringing the teaching into the West and changes that are needed and stuff like that. He had been to IMS and liked it here very much and talked a little bit about that. 
And then uh, I started to feel feel uh, good. <laughs> and I don't think it was about what we were talking because that was the same old stuff. Breathe in, breathe out. Uh, but at one point, it was clear that there was eye contact happening and very strong eye contact. Now, he was, a, as probably some of you know, a very informal human being, despite being a, having a very formal role in the world. In one sense, he's the world ambassador of all of Buddhism. Not, not officially, but unofficially. And there was, at one moment, a very strong meeting of eyes. It's not the only way I can put it. And this didn't so much happen in words. But if it were in words, because I have to communicate with you, it would be something like this. The eyes met. And then there was a question on my part to him. Is this all right? And the answer, again, I'm just making it up. He didn't say this, was... Of course, it's just ordinary, no big deal. So the ante went up, my eyes, and then his eyes. And before I knew it, there was just a very deep kind of, just two human beings very open with each other. And to skip a lot of other things that happened, some of it quite humorous and this and that, What went on between the two of us was, for me, something quite interesting because there was a field of warmth and friendliness and love that was palpable, very powerful, and we were just two strangers. It was just a bunch of people coming and going, having interviews with him. And at the end of the interview, um, I found it difficult to walk when I came out of the room. And one of the Tibetans saw that and my friends were waiting for me and said, would you like to be quiet? So I said, I think so, yeah. So he led me to this room and I just meditated for an hour. Had a very good cry. Very joyful one. And also what I realized that the Dalai Lama, I'm sure, with no intention at all in this direction, uh, sort of rewired me, freed me of something, the residue of growing up in Brooklyn and, and, and thinking that tough guys can't be loving. You know, if you want to be a real man, you might have love, but it has to be Humphrey Bogart type, you know, where you don't show it. In fact, you put out just the opposite kind of uh, gestures and language, but down deep, you really love, but you don't show it. And you certainly don't verbalize it and all this stuff. Somehow that all seemed trivial and a waste of time and just idiotic. Uh, What got conveyed, some of it in words, was how foolish we all are. You know, we're living on this planet and we spend our time in such silly ways, being so stingy with our love being so careful about it being violated, about being taken advantage of. The whole sort of business of love. 
why can't we just be warm and friendly? His phrase that he used was, he asked, he said, uh, do you have a good heart? He wasn't speaking physiologically. He meant, do you have a good heart? Do you have a warm heart? And he said, very simple, kind of extremely simple. And he says that to people a lot. At any rate, what I experienced was a human being who very comfortably was able to just be loving for no particular end. And in a way that was concrete, very palpable. And somehow at the end of it, I felt slightly more mature along those lines and slightly freer and appreciative of that whole dimension. Whatever the degree of my appreciation was before being fortunate enough to spend time with him, it was much deeper after that. And I even then tried to psychoanalyze it and psychologize it, you know, just my projection and this and that. I don't think so. I mean, I'm sure there's some of that, but I didn't go in with much. He was interviewed by William Buckley during that same period. Those of you who don't know who William Buckley is, uh, everyone knows, okay. And William Buckley just couldn't get him to make anti-communist remarks. Uh, And even before the formal TV thing, uh, the Dalai Lama was saying things like, there's an awful lot of wisdom in Marxism. Uh, I think that Buddhists should study Marxism. Some of it is quite valuable. They know some things that we could, we could learn some things from the Marxists. And of course, they have, we know some things that they could learn from. Uh, in the Tibetan community in India, some of the young Tibetans are drawn to Marxism and the Dalai Lama has supported that, has protected their right to have Marxist groups, study groups. And yet, he's also giving enormous energy to try to regain his country. So he's not simply uh, a fool. He's quite a sophisticated, intelligent person who's a a leader of a whole nation and yet hasn't forgotten this. So this meditation is one that's been done for probably millennia called a loving-kindness meditation, metta. And it's a way in which we can begin to develop this quality ourselves. To deepen it, to use it. For example, at times if we are very angry, A few years ago, there was a person in our meditation group in Cambridge. The woman was almost 65 years old, and her mother was in her 90s and dying. And this woman hated her mother. And she said she had spent from the age of 18 until 60 struggling with this mother and still feeling resentment and annoyance. And here her mother was dying. And she was very confused. And we tried insight meditation, watch it, and all that didn't work. No watch it. 
she wasn't about to watch all that uh, anger and disappointment and resentment. I think mainly as a last resort, I pulled out metta and suggested it to her and she worked with it and it was very, very difficult. As you'll see in a moment, we start off by sending loving kindness to ourselves. If we can't love ourselves, how are we going to love anyone else? When she got to her mother, well, we move from ourselves to someone that we do love and then to somebody that we can't stand, ideally, I hope, hate. Well, that was what her mother was for her. And it took her months. She just could not do it. It was just, she would tremble. She would cry. And then one time she broke through and was able to send some loving kindness to her mother. And an amazing change. And then, then Vipassana became possible for her. It was sort of backwards. Not backwards, but her, her path started that way. An interesting aside, the Tibetans have a way of developing metta or loving kindness and compassion. They say we've all had many, many lifetimes. We've all been around a long time and we've been everything to each other. So everyone in this room, we've all been mothers to each other. And so the, the approach is, since we've all been mothers, how can you bear any enmity to anyone since at one point in time they've been your mother and of course they've done all these wonderful things, but the Dalai Lama doesn't know about Americans. Many of us don't like our mothers. <laughs> so, it do, I don't know, so it doesn't work out so well. Or we have a bad memory, something, I don't know. Um, we'll start off by sending loving kindness to ourselves. We'll be using three very simple phrases. May I be happy? May I be peaceful? May I be free from suffering? Now, as you say this to yourself silently, it's a good idea to experience it around the heart, not the not on the left, but the what is sometimes called the heart center. In the middle of the chest is an emotional center. So we're saying to ourselves, may I be happy. May I be peaceful. May I be free from suffering. As you say it, really hear what you're saying. Please don't allow yourself to fall into a mechanical way of uttering this. Hear the significance of what it is you're doing. You're wishing yourself well. Each one of us is entitled to be happy, peaceful, and free from suffering, as is everyone. And we're just being explicit about it. 
unashamed about it. If you find some resistance, sometimes people find it very difficult to send loving-kindness to themselves, I would suggest you don't try to smother the resistance or overpower it with a kind of hard loving-kindness. But pause for a second or two. And here's where, in a sense, the Vipassana approach can come in a bit. Bring awareness to the resistance. Learn. See how difficult it is for you to send love to yourself. That's valuable to find out if it's true. And then resume the loving-kindness meditation. Keeping it soft. May I be happy. May I be peaceful. May I be free from suffering. May I be happy. May I be peaceful. And also free from suffering. just as we've been doing for a couple of days now, as soon as you notice that, very gently come back. To metta. Peaceful. And free from suffering. Really hear what it is you're saying to yourself. Feel it.
Everyone wants to be happy. No one wants to suffer. We're simply acknowledging that. May I be happy. May I be peaceful. May I be free from suffering. be happy. And peaceful. And free from suffering. Experiencing the full significance of what we're wishing for ourselves.
each utterance carried out very carefully, with full attention and complete hearing, really hearing what we're saying. It's done with the whole body, with the whole mind, the whole person. Moving now from ourselves to someone that we love, someone that we admire, who's been good to us, someone who's helped us. If you were doing this meditation on your own and you found it difficult to send love to yourself and sometimes people find it almost impossible, probably best to not move on to anyone else but to just stay with that for a period of time. And as it becomes possible for you to freely and comfortably send love to yourself, then expand the field to include others. But tonight, I'd just like us to get a taste of this form of meditation. And so move to someone who you do care about, perhaps even reflecting for a moment or so about qualities that they have or a particular instance when they were very loving to you or kind something about them that makes them so esteemed for you. Something really nice about them that's concrete. And visualize the person. And then just as we want happiness and peace and to be free of suffering for ourselves, direct that same thought to this person that you love. May this loved person be happy. May they be peaceful. And may they be free from suffering too. Again, carrying it out in the area of the heart, the heart center. Staying conscious as we do it. person that we care about and love be happy. May they be peaceful. And may they be free from suffering. 
sending happiness, peace, and a wish for freedom from suffering to this admired person. Once again, if you experience resistance, as sometimes happens, in sending love to a, a loved person, don't overpower it with will. But hear that part of you that is resisting. Experience it. And then, very softly, bring these positive qualities into consciousness. A wish for happiness, peace, and freedom from all suffering. your mind has drifted away, please come back. May this loved person be happy. May they be peaceful. May they be free from suffering. Heartfelt wishes as unreserved as possible.
perhaps for many of us, the metta has become a bit developed now by sending love to ourselves and to someone that we love. And now the question becomes, can we take that love that we've developed with ourselves and a loved person, can we take it to somebody that we don't like? Somebody who's hurt us, wounded us, deceived us, lied to us, taken advantage of us, harmed us, where perhaps the natural reaction of most people would be anger, hatred, violent urges, disgust. If there is such a person in your life, bring that person into the meta-meditation. If not, work with somebody where there's resistance If you're finding strong resistance to sending love to someone that you actively dislike, once again, here especially, don't force it. Don't use will to overpower the resistance. Briefly experience the actual anger or dislike. And then bring the meta-meditation into play. Sometimes, especially if it's a very difficult person to work with, a few reflections can help. One reflection has to do with us. That is, if we are hating someone, We're the ones who are suffering. It's not that the hate leads to suffering. It is suffering. We're carrying that with us. The Buddha used two very powerful images to convey this. He said, being angry or aggressive towards somebody who's hurt you, even if it in one sense may seem justified, carrying that feeling is like throwing a hot coal at them. You may hurt your enemy, but in the process you get burned as well. Use another image of, in a similar way, throwing feces at a person that you hate, which may be unpleasant for them, but you too. Another reflection, another reflection is if the person has really been a negative, extremely negative person, a harmful person, they're already suffering worse than you can do to them. There's nothing that you can do to them that's going to be worse than what they're already getting. 
because they're having to live that way. These are used to soften the ego's hold on revenge, vindictiveness, etc. May this person who we don't care for or dislike or hate, may they too be happy. May even they be peaceful. And even they, even they should be free from suffering. Aversion has a way of making things look worse than they are. Seeing this person as also being human. Part of the whole global human family. Metta is all-encompassing. May this person be happy and peaceful and free from suffering. May this unattractive person, this person who's been, who's harmed us, may they be happy. May they be peaceful. And may they too be free from suffering.
finally, sending metta to all beings. Beings that live in the ocean, that fly in the air. All creatures, all sentient beings. No reason to limit it, but include plants. May all beings be happy. May all beings be peaceful. May all beings be free from suffering. Feel a sense of the whole, of the entire global family, at very least. May all beings be happy. May all beings be peaceful. May all beings be free from suffering. few more words about metta, how to use it in your practice. And the range of its application. We were cultivating, in a sense, mind metta. But metta is also action. And so the way we speak to each other can be infused with metta, or it can be harsh. Loving-kindness can be in the way we move objects around, in very small acts of consideration and courtesy, demonstrating loving-kindness in very small ways with the people that we live with or that we work with. Small considerations, favors. In the Buddhist time, examples were if you were a yogi and saw another yogi had left the cooking materials lying around and not cleaned them properly or put them back, you do it silently, not taking any credit for it. Or, in our own case, if you're living with someone, getting up in the morning, being quiet as you leave so you don't wake them up, can be a small expression 
of friendliness, loving kindness. And it can happen all day long with strangers as you pass a toll booth and have a very fleeting exchange with somebody who's trapped in that booth all day long as you're trapped in your car all day long. (laughs) In terms of uh, the place it has in alignment with Vipassana meditation, it can be used in a variety of ways. People actually go on meta-retreats. People here in the last retreat, some people were working on meta all the time for long periods of time, going very, very deeply into it. Uh, you can do some of it before you start to do the Vipassana meditation. Sometimes what it does, if you're, if you're feeling particularly hard and cold and tight and dry, sometimes a few moments of metta, a kind of meltdown, and actually the awareness comes more easily, sort of a, facilitates steadiness, calmness, composure. It's often good to do at the end of your Vipassana sitting. When the mind is high energy and clear, the metta has much more power, perhaps sending it to people who need it, people who are sick or who are dying. Everyone's different. Some of you will be attracted to it or it's useful at a certain time in your life when there's a lot of anger in your life. Again, not to smother the anger, to learn from it, but also at working skillfully with metta in coordination with straight observation, straight looking. And it can be used in just all kinds of simple ways. Um, one person in Cambridge mentioned uh, traveling on the the T, the public train, all the time and being very discouraged by how many sad people were on the train, kind of beaten down, didn't seem to be having much of a good time in life. Train full of people like that and someone in the group suggested why not use metta, send them love. You're sitting there on the train instead of getting lost in all that bad feeling yourself. Sometimes as you're, this happens to me, just walking along and you pass someone who looks like they really need it. You don't know who they are. You just, ships passing in the night, you just walk right past them. And just a few wishes in, the, in this direction. I think we'll skip the question period tonight and just do some walking now, please. <laughs>